With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Okay. On the call. Yeah, we're in. We're on. All right. We're both on there. If it didn't fuck up anything else, it's recording us. My battery on my phone died. I plug it into the charger, and the cord on the charger is about like a foot long. I'm yeah. kicking around for an extra extension cord to hook it into right now. Cool. Shouldn't be too difficult to find, considering how many of them there are lying around here. Cheaper phones, and their battery doesn't last very long. Ah, here's a nice 20 foot extension cord. <laughs> no shortage of extension cords. Yeah. Breed lots of exotic reptiles, you end up with lots of extra extension cords. <laughs> Are you going to get another dragon? Uh, I've got one right now. I got a friend over in uh, Washington State that's going to grab me a rescue dragon. It's apparently no shortage cool. of them over there and bring me another one. Mm-hmm. The one I got right now, she wasn't very socialized when she was a baby, so it took me a year to get her to the point where she'll ride around on my shoulder. I'm not mm-hmm. taking her out in the woods anywhere. Might not be doable. Any fucking cord. I'll get those pictures and stuff like that to you within a couple of days. Cool, man. Yeah, the sooner you get it to me, the sooner I can go ahead and crank yours out. I'm in limbo on that Brenda one, so I'm going to go ahead and put Ricky's mm-hmm. out as soon as I can. And then if she so comes I, through, I yours will come out next. If you come through next, then yours comes out next. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to take my whole computer over to my mother-in-law's where she's got a really nice um, hookup, and then I'll just be able to just send all of that stuff no problem. That's the way to do it. Just send it to uh, send it to my private mail on Facebook. That's what everybody usually does. It's easy for me to grab it and 
thrown onto a file from there. Okay, is that the thrown onto the email? I've had people try and send me stuff on email before and had it never even fucking show up, so I don't put much yeah. value on that method. So you just want it to go to Duke's um RaganOutlook.com? Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Don't send it there. Oh, just oh, go to okay. like the the chat window for private messaging on Facebook and send it there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that will work. Yeah. <laughs> at least I will get it. And no matter what you do, if you end up uh, putting it on YouTube and then, of course, putting it on Facebook or anything, the processing takes a bunch of the quality out of it. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how you get it sent to you. It's not going <laughs> to look that spectacular anyway um, yeah. once you put it up. So, Okay. Well, let's see. We should be doing here. Apparently, I'm not on. <laughs> okay, that's bizarre. Whatever. Seems like I can hear you. We both seem to be on the call, but I'm just going to guess that we're both on the call. Um, yes. Cool. Like I said, the system's fucked up, man. Just keep your fingers crossed and hope it does everything properly. Okay. And if it, if something goes wrong, man, we can just do it again. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, for us, it's not like you're calling from Australia or some fucking thing like I'm trying to yeah. set up Jack to do again. There's a pain yeah. in the ass. Oh, yeah, we're really close to each other time zone-wise. <laughs> yep. Australia. Outback Jack. I told him that's his official name on the show now. It's Outback Jack. And he said, well, why not Yowie Dundee? And I'm like, well, because you want to actually get exposure for yourself because you're a real person and your name's actually Jack. And it rhymes with Outback. And everybody in America, when they hear Outback, 100% of the time, think of Australia. Mm-hmm. And I can still say that you're you're like the Yowie Dundee of Oz, Outback Jack. Yeah. That, that. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. That's some good reasoning. I didn't think about it that far. Good good call, mate. Go with that one. <laughs> well, it's like the kid needs some friggin' exposure. He's in his early 20s. He's already had... He's going on his, what, third or fourth Bigfoot conference down there, the ACRO, Australian Encrypted oh. Research Organization. He's got yeah. Rex Gilroy, the father of uh, Australian cryptozoology, has been at both of, of the earlier ones. Gary Opet, who's like a big-time um, you know, cryptid guy on TV down there in Australia, he's been at him. So it's like, well, shit, you know, get the kids some friggin' exposure here and keep them going. That's what we need is more little shits coming out that are interested in doing this stuff because we're all going to gack eventually. Somebody else has got to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing that they're down there too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yowies are interesting. They're apparently not exactly like the ones we have up here. but uh, uh-huh. They're a lot smaller, but they're still... you know. Well, there's, there's three different kinds. Again, is mm-hmm. there more than one kind. There's the little ones that are like, you know, three, three, four foot tall, Jin Judy's. And yeah. then there's the regular Yowies, and, and that's the Yowies like a slang name. It's like saying Bigfoot. Every little mm-hmm. Australian Aborigine tribe has a different name for them. And they right. have two different kinds in addition to the little people, the Jin Judy's. They've got the ones that are like, you know, six, seven feet tall, and they've also got these massive things they don't run into very often that are like 10 feet tall. Those yeah. are the ones are really scared of. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm bad. 
and think they can hang out with brown snakes, man. They're, wow. <laughs> I know, that's what I always tell Jack. You know, we have this bizarre perception that it's uh, it's actually dangerous to be in the outback there, what with the bone-crushing crocodiles and all the poisonous snakes and uh, spiders and all that yeah. good stuff. And he's like, no, mate, it's totally safe. We don't have any mountain lions or grizzlies like you guys have. <laughs> yeah. I would rather do grizzlies than do tight pants. Yeah, no, that's, that's a freaking twenty foot snake that that charges you. Yeah, how do you run from a twenty foot snake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the obvious twenty foot croc, so that's what you gotta worry about. Fuck the twenty foot snake yeah. twenty foot croc. <laughs> uh you know. Yeah. But he was, you know, to him, it's just the opposite. It's like, oh, my God, you know, we don't have any giant mammal carnivores. I can't even picture having to deal with that. I wouldn't want to camp in those conditions. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, it's just incomprehensible to him that we can, like, oh, yeah, there's packs of timber wolves and there's fucking mountain lions and grizzlies and shit. Yeah. It's no way. Yeah. We're not going there. No. <laughs> the same reaction no. we have. Oh, it's crawling with poison snakes and, and spiders and bone-crushing crocodiles. We're not going there. And they're like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had grizzlies run right in front of me, and it didn't scare the crap out of me at all. But you know, I'm looking at these these uh, snakes they have over there. Good God, they're aggressive as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't My forget to go for a swim in the ocean. The great white sharks will eat you, too. There's oh, yeah. Yeah, there's not. Second only to Florida for shark attacks. It's a beautiful place, but it's not really a place to have a lot of fun at. <laughs> it could be dangerous. <laughs> uh, there's been um, actual tourists from the U.S. that have disappeared over there, potential Yowie attacks. So it's yeah. nothing to laugh about. Uh, you know, no, and dingoes. You know, then you got wild dingoes, too. <laughs> yeah. They'll drag your kids off into the brush. Yep, and they'll eat them up, and the only thing you'll ever find evidence of them is little dingo berries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that hurts. Bad punishment. Okay, well, let me get the uh, let me get the show started here. I do a little introduction. And I'll introduce okay. you, and then uh, Thank you. we'll just take it from there. How do you want me to? Do you want me to introduce myself, or are you? Well, you the go only ahead. thing we need to work out is: Do you want to go by? Do you want to, to like actually be public person? Use your real name, or do you want? Yeah, to let's just go, Richard. Let's just okay. go, Richard. Everybody and knows me the, about the people life. that are combinations like me. It's like all my friends that know me actually call me Duke. All bear right. friends that act, know him actually call him Bear. I mean, nobody calls him mm-hmm. Duke. They call him Bear. You know? Yeah. So it's like, if, and Grizz up there, he was like, eh, if they look hard enough, they can figure out who I am, but I don't really want my name public. So I'll just go by my nickname, Grizz, which he was an out, outfitter, you know, tour guide, uh, or I mean, like hunting and uh, camping sort of guide for like yeah. 30 friggin' years, so that was his nickname, Grizz. He's like, I'll just go with my nickname. So if there's like any nickname you want to attach, you know, to your, like a Bigfoot moniker or something like that, I can introduce you that way. It's fun for the guests to have nicknames, especially if they're going to be coming back again. Yeah, I'll just be Richard Williams from from Idaho. Okay. Uh, Williams X, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to bring that up because that's where everybody knows you from. And I'll be bringing mm-hmm. that up to start with. Okay, well, let me get her started here. Three, okay. two, one. Big Sky Howdy, and welcome to another episode of World Bigfoot Radio. 
Today, I got one of my neighbors from right over the border in Spudland who actually went out and did some research with me here a couple years back. And for those of you who watched the field research videos, I'm sure you'll be uh, well aware of who this is when I start talking about it. But he was uh, with me and uh, when I went up to the Skulka Hole, he was the one that prompted me to go up there. He had been up there uh, for something completely unrelated uh, with his family and driving along the area started noticing these gigantic tree structures along the side of the road. And uh, he got really curious, and he went and did some some great documentation of it, sent me pictures and whatnot, and I got really interested at that point and said, yeah, I, well, I want to go see that. So a few, few weeks later, he came back for another visit up to the area, again with the family, and he dropped the family off, and me and him went for about three hours and just drove up and down the river for a few miles and looked at what we would just see as, you know, hey, there's something interesting, let's stop and go check it out. And it was absolutely stunning. Like every 50 or 100 feet, there was a tree structure. And you'd go look at it, and it wasn't natural. And it was like, oh, my God, what is there? Been like an entire Bigfoot construction crew living in this valley or something? What the hell is going on here? So we had a great, great day with that. I documented a lot of it. You'll be able to watch the video while we're talking about this. And uh, let, me, let me bring on the man who discovered the largest uh, Bigfoot X structure that I have ever seen in my life, Richard Williams, a discoverer of the Williams Axe. Welcome to the show, Richard. Well, how you doing, dude? It's good to be here. Yeah, hey, that was good to be here finally, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple of years. I I really apologize for that, but I've been busy with some of my family uh, stuff, and I just. Uh, it's all ironed out now, and I'm going to spend a lot more time in Montana. That place is loaded. That's Stockholm Pass. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's, it's almost borderline scary how active it is over there and how much signs that there are. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, As you probably, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, I went up there a month later with my team to do some more documentation. We only stayed overnight. We got up there in the afternoon, ran around, filmed a bunch of stuff, stayed overnight, had weird things happen at camp, and then wow. uh, early the next day took off again. But it was the same thing. We're finding tracks. We're finding tree structures. Mm -hmm. We had, you know, something snap a branch, go run away from camp, and dive in the river in the middle of the night. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. I found a, found a boulder stack in a corral structure about 100 yards up the mountain from uh, from where my camp was, you know. So mm -hmm. just weird thing piled on weird thing. We may have even had a couple peakers that were documented in there that were watching the camp during one uh, wide sweeping shot that I did across the river at about a 180-degree angle of uh, the view from that side of the camp and uh, picked out a couple of really odd-looking things in there. And, again, that's in the video, so you guys can take a look at it when it comes up. And, uh, cool. Yeah, you know, that's uh, cool. I'm just yeah. gonna, I'd like you to tell everybody how, how this all came about, that you actually found this thing in the first place, where you were at with, with Bigfoot and the whole sort of thing when you discovered it. Um. My my family and I like to go to Gem Mountain, and we mine sapphires. It's one of our hobbies, and it's turned into dang near a, a job now. But uh, when one time we were coming back, heading to Hamilton, coming back over and to go on down the Lolo Trail, and and I was just driving along, and I just we had a lot of time to make it back. It was still daylight, and I've always been into Bigfoot. And I rolled my window down. I'm just putting along, maybe 15 miles an hour, just scanning, scanning the, the tree line. 
and all of a sudden stuff just starts popping up. And, you know, like you said in the intro, I mean, it's every 100 feet. And it was just amazing. I, there's arches, there's X's, there's those, those suspended trees that were woven in between yeah. Um, yeah, that's double right. trees. Like, yep, we'll be yeah. showing that one. We yeah. have some good video of that one. Yeah, that was a good, that's an interesting tree. I've only found two others like that here in Idaho. So that's kind of a, a nice find there. That was a good one. Uh, and we got up there, and there's this massive X pops up. And I stopped the car, and I'm looking at it, and I go, oh, my God, that is that real? So I get out of the car, and I walk down to that creek, and I wade across it, and I get back up to it, and I'm looking at this thing, and it's just incredibly huge. And I start instantly I start looking at the bases because, you know, I want to see if they're just you know, natural falls yeah, or, 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 you know, trees that push and, over, a storm push them over. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking at the base of this one, and, and there I, I call these trees um, tuning fork trees because they look like a tuning fork, and Sasquatch seems to like to use them a lot. And I've got a lot of pictures of, of a tuning fork tree being used to support their structures. But this one was laying on the ground, and the trunk of the X was stuck right in the middle of the tuning fork, holding it in place. And I, I was like, holy crap, what the heck? So I got pictures of all of that, and then I come back across, and we, we go on down to Lewiston, and I get a hold of you, and I I send you the pictures, and you got back to me, and, and we set up an expedition, and... Man, was it fun! I'll tell you, we had a lot of, we had some good time. On, you know, on those three or four hours that we're out, that was a blast, man. That oh, was a blast. That was amazing to me because I've spent like you know literally days or even weeks out in the field wandering around from place to place that you know were you know promising places, and not mm-hmm. find nearly that much stuff. And this is like road squatching. You didn't even have to get out of the vehicle. You could see the yeah. structures from the road. And then you'd pull yeah. over the park and walk 40 feet and look at them and go, yeah, that one's real, too. Neither one of these are from here. They were moved into place. What the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how many there were on that in that pass. And, you know, that kind of tells me that that place is loaded. You know, it's it's got such a, a future for research. It really does. Um, well, there's really a lot of people do. living there most of the year. Uh, you know, it's... It's um, access dependent on weather sort of thing. There's a one-lane mm-hmm. dirt road kind of thing. And if yeah. the weather's bad in the winter, you can't get up there. It's that simple. They don't plow it. They don't keep nope. it navigable in the winter. And there's really they close it off up there in the winter. Yeah, it's closed off. Yeah. So during the yeah. winter, they've, they've got the run of the place the whole time. They only have to put mm-hmm. up with human invaders for part of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a special place. I I just know it's it's so just loaded with them. I do. I can, I you know, you just get those feelings when you get into an area that and that's good. And that's that was that's that's a special place. That's a, that's yeah. a really special place. Yeah, you know, we yeah. found fresh, very fresh tracks the day we were there. Yeah, and just to set it up because yeah. this wasn't really included in the video. And you guys, I'll I'll replay this part right where we're talking about here so you can see it, but. We had just got done looking at what we were calling the Neon X because it, uh, it was back in the timber in a dark, gloomy area of ways, and it wasn't mm-hmm. that gigantic of an X, but right where the two pieces crossed each other, all the bark had been stripped off. So it was a yeah. different bright color than everything else around it, so it stood out mm-hmm. like a friggin' sore thumb. And we were actually yeah. like looking, what was it? It was on your side, so it was on the, it was on the driver's side, 
as we were going up the road, and I was mm-hmm. like looking back over your shoulder across the cab, and I still yeah. spotted it. It was so damn obvious. And then we mm-hmm. stopped and went running over there and took a look at all of it. And, uh, you know, again, you, you, you can see that on the video. And you were all, like, hopped up to go find more structures, and I don't blame you. They were everywhere. And so you went moving <laughs> back to the truck. And I'm walking part way back, and I notice this anomaly out of my left eye. There's a depression mm-hmm. in the moss. And I'm like, hmm, where'd that come from? So I walked over yeah. a little bit further, and there's another one. And then I yelled at you and went, hey, we got tracks over here. And that couldn't have been more than 30 feet away from where that neon X was. There was a little wet, shallow depression in the ground there where there was like a little seep or a little mud hole or whatever. And mm-hmm. it run right past. Yeah, a little drainage two, ditch or something, yeah. yeah. Two really obvious tracks and two not quite so obvious impressions behind it. And, uh, and, and we got that and documented it, 18-inch tracks, huge. Yeah, and that was, One, that was only 50 feet from the road. Yeah, and we, and we were back there a month later and redocumented them to show what a month of sitting there and drawing out and whatnot would do to it. And it was still, mm-hmm. like, obvious something had made this thing, even though it wasn't, yeah. you know, clear, clean, crisp, clear. You could see the toes and the whole thing like it was when we found it, which it might have been made, like, minutes before we found it. It might have been sitting there, and when we stopped, it bolted. Um, mm-hmm. It was that fresh. And it then, could have. It was that fresh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Then a month later when we were back with the team, we were up at the timber tangle a little bit further up the road, another gigantic and very suspicious uh, big pieces of timber put together there, and about 40, 50 feet away from that, we're just wandering along, and there's another track in the sand where it had stepped underneath a log, and so the toes and the front pad of the print were protected from the rain and were still mm-hmm. perfectly obvious and evident underneath this wow. log. And this, again, looked like pretty fresh. It hadn't rained for three or four days, so it had to be with, you know, so it's like, it's not that hard to find, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with all those stretches like that, <clears throat> so close together, there's there's got to be trackways back back in there, you know, and we're, we just need to do a, a footprint search sometimes, go up there just to look for prints, you know, that that works, I'm sure we'll, we'll find something for sure that's castable, that's for sure. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, brother, after, after the, the second trek, trek up there with my team, the morning of the day that we were leaving, I did a solo walk around. They were still asleep because they had been scared and stayed up all night when they heard the tree snap and the Bigfoot was around camp or whatever it was. Uh, you know, they were, they were scared that it was Bigfoot, so they stayed up all night. Yeah. I went to sleep. So in the morning while they were sleeping, I got up and went walking up the hill to do some recon in this area that we hadn't been to and found a big corral structure I found a tripod structure right next to a boulder stack, and I do mean boulder. The bottom one's seven feet high, the one on top wow. one's four or five feet high. <clears throat> and this is on top of a mountain. There's nowhere for it to roll down from to get there. Right, right. Yeah, it didn't roll yeah. from the sky, that's for sure. No, it didn't roll. Yeah. It didn't fall from the sky and just land on top of this other boulder. There's no up from <laughs> yeah. there for it to roll down from. So that's yeah. suspicious as hell. And then when I got back, mm-hmm. I talked to Kat about that, and I showed her the stuff that we had found, including that big fence structure, by the way. Yeah. And said, you know, notice that we're finding all this stuff on this one side of the river, and the only thing on the other side of the river is the giant fence structure and the giant X structure and the boulder stack. And she went, oh, yeah, there's a mountain giant on that side of the river. You probably shouldn't go over there. And I'm like, okay, I won't camp there again. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> and she figured that's yep. exactly what it is. They got him on the one side of the river, so they're marking the hell out of their side of the river, saying, hey, this is our territory. We're yeah, you here. stay on that side. side. We'll leave you, you alone. stay on that side. <laughs> and he just puts up one big X that's 60 feet high going, okay, here's where my side starts. Oh, let me put up this fence that's like 35 feet long. Oh, let me make a boulder stack, too. Okay, I think you got the hand. I'll stay over here. You know, I've looked at that, that X. I've looked at it from Google Earth, and there's that rock slide behind it that goes up, and then uh, there's a plateau right behind it that looks very promising uh, as far as uh, uh, an expedition to go up there and look for, uh, you know, more structures or maybe... So it sounds like huh? uh, we, have a, uh, we have an expedition planned for this summer then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's going to be I've been just aching to get up there and go look at that area again. I I don't I have any too. local people that want to that want to travel that far to do it. You know, my my team are sort of like mm-hmm. day tripper guys. They don't really want to do like long drive or you know extended overnight yada yada yada. They they won't mm-hmm. go through three or four days in Coloma with me. Let's just say, like researcher yeah. X did. God bless her heart. You're so macho, dear. <laughs> <laughs> that's that yeah. is true yeah that's uh a lot of them are just they just drive around in trucks and you know they don't get out of their truck and they don't go and investigate they just they see yeah. something and then they just keep going you know it's you, you usually one of those structures will lead you right to another you know it's yeah. it's pretty pretty interesting how they yeah, how they make them. You gotta them. know what you're looking for too. I mean, your average person sees yeah. something like this and they just think, man, windfall or something, and it never even registers. Yep. People that have oh. an inkling of it might be inclined to mm-hmm. stop and actually take a closer look at it. But there's so yeah. few people that know an X means this, a snap means this. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. can actually put the pieces together and know what else to look for. That yeah. you know, and I've had that I've too. Talked. Driving down a freeway with one of my buddies, and and <laughs> I'm just kind of like randomly looking at the hillside and. Geez, there's a giant X over there. Is there an X over on this side? And he's like, "What? What are you walk- What are you talking about? What are you looking at?" <laughs> yeah, I talk to loggers all the time. You know, I because those guys are out in the woods a lot down here, and and I I show them pictures of of my structures that I found. I go, "You ever see these?" And go, "Oh, God, yeah, I see those all the time," and and it goes right right over their head. You know, I go, "Well, yeah. Bigfoot, he's." He's putting those up, man, and they go, oh, no, they are not. Oh, come on, you know, they, they just look right past it. You yeah, know, next time you see one, go over and look and see if it's actually from there. See if that's a pushed-over tree, if it's an old dead tree, or if it's a tree that something actually moved there. Because that giant right. X structure that you found, neither one of those trees were there. And you didn't mention right. that to the listeners. Both those giant full-size all the bark and um, and branches stripped off of them, uh, lodgepole pines were moved into position. They weren't from yeah. there. Always, always check the bottom of of the axis. Always look for them because they're you know the the Sasquatch. They'll like you said they drag them in, and there there won't be any root ball on them. There won't be a hole there. They they're they've been broken off and they just. Drag yep. them in and set them up. Yeah, yeah, that's why. The first I, I thing I do, that. I try to debunk it just by looking at the bases. Because if the bases are any sketchy at all, like they've just a tree that's been pushed over, I, I don't, I don't take it into account. No, yeah. sure they might have, they might have pushed it over and made an X out of it, but I, I just, it has to be a little more um, 
positive than that for me. See, I totally agree with you there. And the size of the things has a lot to do with it too for me. It's like if it's something, yeah. you know, little teeny snaps or little teeny structures or something, yeah, it could just be random chance. I mean, you start seeing well, gigantic just... things that, you know, that nature really can't account for. Um, mm-hmm. and you start having something to really be serious and look at. And let's get back to the X structure thing for a second here. I just saw a good example okay. of this the other day where it was a composite. One tree actually had been pushed over, and you could see the exposed root ball coming up on the on the one side of it where mm-hmm. whatever force it is, it actually pushed it over, so it didn't look like it should have been. But maybe the wind pushed it. Okay, let's just give mm-hmm. it that one. Now, the other side of the X was an equal length, equal thickness tree mm-hmm. that was upside down. It not only Placed was from there, it had been ripped out yeah. of the ground and upside down with the top of the tree crammed into the ground to make the yeah. X. Now, that See one that? To me kind of, yeah. again, looked like, mm, probably not nature at work here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And just like, um, oh, I'd say a couple months ago, just as the first snow came uh, into this area, I was driving down my the road that I my research area is in, and I come up and over this little drive, and and I'm looking, and you know, when the first snows come, they they you know they lay on top of the tree, and if it's at an angle at all, it's dusted. So when you look back into the forest, you can see those structures. So they they stand out like a sore thumb. Well, I come up over this hill, and I look up, and I go, holy crap, what the heck? And I pull over, I get out, and I document this tree that's been put 40 feet up in the air, woven through three or four other trees, 40 feet up. And I'm looking at that thing, I'm going, how in the heck did that ever get there? And I start trying to debunk it. So I'm looking at all the other trees around, and there's no broken trees off. And I'm like, that thing was brought in and woven 40 feet up in the air. And I couldn't believe it. And I... I brought a guy, his name is Timothy Evans. He's uh he's from up north and he, he's a he's a researcher too. And I took him to that and showed him that because I wanted a second opinion. And yeah, he, he it's it's really interesting. I'll send that picture to you, Brian. That's that's an amazing that's forty feet up. I couldn't believe it. Definitely. And you know, just to just to let you know, actually Taylor who's interacting off and on with his Bigfoot friend Scooter over there in Indiana, that uh, sent me, I think I've still got it, and if I do, I'll include it in the show. It's video of something similar he found. And again, it's like 30 feet up in the air, and I think this has got to be like 50 feet long. There's an entire freaking yeah. tree, and it's just suspended, wedged in between mm-hmm. all of these other trees, woven in between them. Yeah, it's amazing. I Just, geez, why, why, you know, what are they doing, making monkey bars up there or something? I'd yeah, I don't know. Again, it's, it's, could, well, you know, according to Kat, some of those fence things actually do mean what what we mean. Mm-hmm. It's a fence. That's a sale thing again, too. But you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a barrier. But you got to wonder about the height they're putting it at. Is that for, like, maximum visibility yeah. from a long distance, or is it that they want something really big to notice that there's a fence there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that's thing. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that totally blew me away. That that was a good one. That was a really good one. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you don't find those very often. Rich sent one that he had found, or one of his friends and fellow researchers had found over in Colorado. 
that again, and this was like uh, birch trees, I think, if I remember right, or aspen, something along those lines, and it was, you know, 15, 20 feet up, woven in between all these other trees, just kind of crammed in there. And what all of them have in common is that there's no, there's no snap, snapped off stump around anywhere for this thing mm-hmm. to come from. Yeah, yeah. And I always look at the trees around us. There was a sudden, yeah, there was a sudden microburst with a thousand mile an hour wind that ripped it out of the ground, hurled it far enough that you can't find the stump, and wove it between these other trees without snapping off a branch on any of them. Seriously, yeah, absolutely impossible. No friggin' way. Just impossible. Yeah, that's impossible. And especially the weaving. I find I find lots of structures that there has been some multiple weavings, and and that's just not natural at all. It's pretty much impossible for no. something like that to naturally fall because they do you know, they, they've been it, yeah it, yeah they've been lots. bent yeah they've been bent through those trees yep yeah they, there's other examples of them doing and i should actually include the picture of this too um they'll weave all sorts of weird things there somebody found a moose's leg that had been woven around a tree oh crazy wow uh, yeah you guys explained to me how that happened Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, so I I uh when I went to the conference in 2016, the international conference, I put together a a, a little portfolio of uh, pictures that I took to show to various people and they were all all the pictures that I had were just absolutely impossible natural occurrences. And and I I challenged him, you know, how do you think that happened? You know, and I showed it to uh, Ron Moorhead, and and I I showed it to Bob Gimlin and and um, uh, Cliff Brockman. He saw it, and a couple of the other guys, you know, that were there, and and they were they were pretty impressed. They didn't know that there was actual Sasquatch uh, activity in Idaho, and that's why I did that. I wanted to expose. That yes, they are indeed here in Idaho. Yeah, and and All trust me, they're sick. Back and listen, yeah. All I have to do is go back and listen to the encounter. Uh, Bigfoot researchers surrounded by Sasquatch, <clears throat> which happened in Idaho, and the yeah. seven-part Glag saga, <clears throat> which happened in Idaho, to start mm-hmm. getting the hint that maybe there are Bigfoot in Idaho. Oh my God, who would have thought it? It's right next to. Washington, Oregon, Wyoming, and Montana. How could there possibly be Bigfoot there? Oh, give me a break. In between the two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just passing through. Yeah, they're just yeah. passing through. No, none of them actually live in Idaho. They just like to, uh, to travel back and forth between Montana and Washington State a lot. So good place to vacation. There. It's a yeah. good place to vacation. <laughs> You know, it's yeah. interesting when uh, when I had Kevin on talking about the Glag Saga that um, he seemed to know that amongst the local scuttlebutt about it or whatever that the reputations on them were different. The ones in on, in the Idaho area weren't that fearsome, but if you start going no, over they're to not. the Bitterroot Mountains under the edge of where Montana is, all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're crabby and dangerous as hell and the locals are scared of them. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, that's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, I've been talking to the Nestor's tribe a little bit about their local Sasquatch um, traditions and and stories and that, and they're 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 fairly uh, they're they're benevolent. They're not really aggressive. Um, I have found one clan that is uh, aggressive. Um, I've currently have, have interacted with three separate clans. I know exactly where they hang out, and I've been you know, my main research area. 
I call that my um, my A clan, and then my B clan is uh, the one that I um, encountered up on top of Huckleberry Hill. I'm going to call it Huckleberry Hill because we go there to pick huckleberries, and every dang time we go there, we we run into these guys. And then the uh, the third you one know, is four one one thing, right? Yeah. About <laughs> these patches. guys are aggressive. Yeah. The, Swamps, the ones on Huckleberry Rockfield, Hill, they yeah. Swamps, Rockfield, yeah. berry patches. And which of the which of the type of berry patch has the most missing? Oh, huckleberry, huckleberry, yeah, that's it. Yep, yeah, that's right. That's that's right. I've read those books, and you're absolutely correct on that. And I tell me, I my head is on a swivel. Believe me. Oh, it, it should be. Very oh yeah. A lot too. I carry I carry a rifle when I go huckleberry pick, and I do. I got a For little sure. 308 that I throw across my back just to have, because my wife gets a little nervous, and it's good to have a gun around. You know, that, that Huckleberry um, Hill one, the, it's kind of funny. It's, <clears throat> the second time we went there was last year, and we get to our spot, and we back in, and and we're, we're walking up the hill to go pick. And when I get up there, I just told her, I said, well, you know, you're you're going to pick for a while today. I'm just going to – I'm on security detail right now. So I walk over, and I pick up a, a, a large club, and I lay into the side of this tree really good, just punk. And my wife spins around, and she looks at me, and she goes, what the heck are you doing? you trying to call him in here? I don't want to pick berries. <laughs> and I dropped that stick, I'm looking at her, and I just dropped it, and I go, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you're right. Just reflexes, sorry. Oh, yeah, it was. It was just, uh, you know, all right, I'm here in the woods. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a knock, you know, and it's like, oh, man, she came unglued at me. So, don't do that again. Oh yeah. Uh, so I walked down the hill a little ways, and I, I walked down the hill a little ways, and crawled up on a stump and did some crow calls, and sure enough, man, crow comes flying in, and then right down over the hill from where the road was, I heard I heard the alpha male growling and running up the ravine. He was heading uphill, coming up towards us, and he growled a couple of times, went into the ravine next to where we had parked, and then just sat still and laid down in there and he he hung out there for the rest of the day that was interesting because i knew he was in there because here comes a car more berry pickers they drive past our car go on up the hill a ways i hear their car doors opening the shutting then one their dog he comes trotting down the down the road back to where we were parked because we had left a big uh bucket of chicken on top of the car so this dog probably sm- yeah, this dog, he comes uh, running down the road, and then he starts heading toward our truck. He was smelling that. But then he stops, and he turns, and he looks over the ravine down where where that alpha male was in. I, I could hear it when the alpha male came up. I knew right where he was because he was growling, and then when he got to that spot, he stopped growling. That dog looks over the edge and looks down, and what he that, that alpha must have woofed at him or growled you know, like that. And that dog spun and sprinted back up that hill with his tail between his legs and went running right back to that other truck. It was amazing. And I was standing on this stump looking up over the brush down onto the road and I saw the whole thing happen. It was it was amazing. Damn it, man. Why weren't you filming? <laughs> oh that dog <laughs> that thing was running. Just desserts. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Oh God! It would have been cool if I, if he came out and nabbed that thing. I'd have seen the whole thing. It was it was amazing. 
Even just Amazing. the dog's reaction, regardless of having any Bigfoot on film, just the dog yeah. trotting up, mm, yummy chicken, hey, what's the smell over here? Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's some sort of a, um, a symbiotic relationship between crows and Sasquatch, because uh, right after that happened, um, I'm still standing on, you know, and I, on my stump, and I'm, I'm looking around and then I turn and I look down towards the road again and there's a, a dead old tree just it was about 20 feet up pretty big around and I the crow that flew that I called in he he was flapping his wings yeah I mean and not going anywhere and I thought you know and I was looking at it real close and I thought I saw an arm and a hand holding on to his feet and it was brown. It was brownish color. And that thing was flapping. You know how when you hold a chicken by its feet and it's flapping its wings like crazy? That's what that crow was doing. And that sucker, after a while, he he got loose, and that crow flew like he was beat up. I mean, he, he was like, uh, 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 uh. you know, his engines were, were sputtering. He was like, and he, he could barely, he flew about 10 feet off of the top of the huckleberry bushes. Then he kind of crash landed at the bottom of the hill in a bunch of them. I'm standing there looking at him. Then I turn back and look where he came from. I couldn't see anything anymore that way. So I get off the stump and I walk down. I pull my pistol at that time and I walk down to where the crow was and he he recovered and he flapped his little wings and got up and then he just, when he flew off away from me, he wasn't flying like, you know, he normally, he was, he was, had been hurt or maybe you've had some feathers pulled out of him. That's what I'm thinking happened. Mm-hmm. Could be. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really weird. Kat was saying was. that uh, her her troop actually interacts with them, and she's not I sure think what there's, mechanism. But there is something with them, man. Yeah, yeah, they. She says that they act like for the the ones that she deals with. The crows act sort of like as an early warning system for them. That's right. That's on, what I believe too. Sit up on top of a tree and caw caw caw. Hey, mm-hmm. your sentinels may not have caught this, but there's something over here you should take a look at. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, and it's scavengers and smart ones. It's not that hard to really believe that that could be going on because it's easier to think that they could be picking up the scraps that the Bigfoot are leaving on the ground and aren't that interested in. And the Bigfoot are making friends with them and going, okay, yeah, you, you do the early warning thing and we'll give you some more food here. You know, mm-hmm. you can get up at the top of those trees where it's tough for our sentinels to get to once they get big enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe that, you know, because here's a segue into this story. <clears throat> I uh, I have a gifting tree, and I put place apples on it, wild apples that come from their their area. I do not bring uh, store-bought apples. I don't feed them pies. I don't give them hamburgers. I like to give them those wild apples. And the reason why I do that is I put them in the tree, and then I put bananas down below it. Because every time I come back, the apples are gone, but the bananas are still there. And I, I started thinking about it, you know, and, okay, why didn't they take the bananas? And I go, duh, because it's not a natural food source. Right. They don't know what it is. Bana- no, they don't. Plant, and they left they them alone. I mean, I've done it yeah. several times, and they've left the dang bananas alone. 
but they always clean the apples off. So I one time I, I put some apples there, came back three days later, and there was a crow feather tucked into my gifting tree into a little knot hole on the side of the tree. And I, I walked up to it, and I go, oh, fuck, what the heck? And I took pictures of it. I recovered the feather. I, I still have it to this day. And as I turned, I, I held my hands up, and I said, thank you. Thank you. And I turned around and walked away. Well, just a couple days ago on my Facebook, somebody was looking at that picture that I had posted from Long Haven. They were looking at it, and they go, well, if you look lower right-hand corner, uh, it looks like there's something back there looking at you. And I go, you know, I don't have that type of stuff to look at my picture, so I don't really know. You know, that's what somebody said, but I, I have no clue if, if that was true or not. But, yeah, I, I was gifted a crow feather. So that that blew me away, man. Totally wow. blew me well, away. Well, send that picture yeah. along, too, so everybody else can look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, get that's... Get more eyes weighing in on it. Get some more of these sharp-eyed people looking at it, see if they can see anything. You know, they, I've had lots of people tell me that they've been um, gifted, too. Various things, uh, from turkey feathers, you know, to um, little bundles of sticks that were wrapped together and and that kind of deal. You know, I've I've had a lot of people uh, comment on that they they have been gifted too, and it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. Is. Well, it's, you know, I think this goes back to their old behavior. Um, let me reference a couple of my previous shows. First of all, I uh, did one of Rich Soul where we were talking about Bigfoot contagion theory and how it potentially could be that there was a lot tighter relationship between the tribes of North America and the Bigfoot here before big disease ripped through and killed off everybody, tribesmen and Bigfoot. And then they sort of stopped dealing with people because uh, maybe they figured out that's why they were getting sick. Um, Yeah, measles has a way of doing that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we had two big invasions. We had when the the conquistadors came in, that was the first wave. And then Mm -hmm. you had the, uh, the pilgrims and whatnot afterwards from the East Coast. But regardless of all that, You've got this uh, the situation where, according to their legends and stuff, at one point, the they were trading with them. A lot of the tribes were trading with them. They would leave something mm-hmm. for the Bigfoot. The Bigfoot would uh, pick it up and leave something for them. And some members mm-hmm. of the tribe actually were designated and trained to interact with them and would actually yeah. go face-to-face with them, talk to them, and make better deals because they could actually work mm-hmm. out a better deal. But this this whole thing could be just a fallback to that sort of behavior. Well, well, the last time we were having any interaction with humans, if they left something for us, we had to go leave something for them. And, and, it, yep. and it very much is a trade thing. It's not a, a gifting thing. You know, you're you're trading mm-hmm. something is the way, apparently, that according to what she's saying, that they look at it. It's just mm-hmm. all back to this old behavior. Humans give you something, yeah. you have to give them something back. And then they'll give you something yeah. again. This is cool. Yeah, but and, I, and I do have, believe... Like, yeah. Their value judgment on what's what's worth something from their viewpoint mm-hmm. and from our viewpoint are two completely and wildly different things, which can lead yeah. to problems with this whole trading strategy. If you can't actually talk to them, they don't know that you don't think a white feather is super cool and nifty and worth a ton. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do believe that they speak the, uh, the native, uh, the local native, uh, First Nations language. I I just have this feeling that they they know how how to communicate in their language because of that yeah. all of the history that they've had. I really do. 
I Kat, do. Kat definitely swears by that, too. She says if you learn just the basic language of the tribes that were in your area and you're in an area where the Bigfoot are in that area, chances are pretty good they'll understand some of those words, if not all of them. And then the other yep. thing that these specific guys who were trading with them were trained to do was the silent tongue. If you remember, they or I'm sure you probably right. heard about this at some point. Mm-hmm. They had a trade tongue where all the languages were different across the continent, so they did sign language. Well, apparently, right. the Bigfoot knew the same sign language, so that's how they were doing a lot of the communication. And Cat will tell you the mm-hmm. same thing with the troops he's interacting with. A lot of their communication isn't verbal; it's sign language. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, when when I uh, let's see, let me think about that for a second. I heard. Um, see, when I when I go to that gifting tree, I, I say a phrase that I've been taught, and it's uh, it's an Indian phrase. And so every time I I go and drop the apples off, I I um, lift my hands up, show them I'm not holding anything, and I yell out that phrase. Well, that that went on all all 2016 and 17. So at the end of uh, around 2017, when we were going hunting last, last fall, um, my wife and I went into this area, and we were carrying rifles, and I didn't think they were in there because across the road was where everything was happening. But, you know... I just I was stupid about it, but I I went walk we went walking down this logging road and we got back in there pretty far and we heard uh, we come around this corner and it must have caught him by surprise because the sentry was up in the tree and it was way up there in a cluster of old growth trees he was hugging the hugging the trunk and I couldn't see him but I could hear him knocking like crazy he was knocking and. Then he he did some um, wild crow calls, you know, because it was like an 800-pound crow going, you know, he was panicking. And and then I heard him speak his language. And in the middle of, you know, and it went so fast, you know, they speak so fast that your brain really can't keep up with it. But in the middle of the the sentencing that he was um, saying, I heard that phrase that I use when I drop the apples off. I heard it plain as day, and I, I was just flabbergasted. My wife, she, she, she's, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't as aware of what was going on around her about Bigfoot at that time. And I told her, I go, I said, did you hear that? And she goes, what? And I go, did you hear that crow call? She goes, yeah. And I go, they're here. And she goes, who? And I said. Sasquatch, just listen. And she, and then, way back in the distance, a crow goes caw caw caw. And I go, see, that was a real crow. Now just listen. And a few seconds later, that 800 pound crow goes caw caw caw. I go, did you hear that? They, they're here. And she got scared. She instantly goes, I want to leave. And I go, it's okay, man. You know, I'm the one that gives them apples. They're not going to take that away. You know, I'm, no, they I'm the one that. Apples. Yeah, they want more apples, and they, you know, and and she goes, no, no, I, I don't want to get hurt. I, I want to go, and I go, all right, okay. So, uh, you know, I, Richard, I'm, I'm somehow getting the impression that your wife is not particularly down with the prospect of seeing a Bigfoot. I'm very calm. They don't scare me, Brian. I know they don't I'm, scare you. Don't quit calling me Brian. It's Duke. I, I but that's not the I'm point sorry. that I'm trying to make. Oh, the point I'm trying to I'm make sorry. is that. 
your wife, although she's aware of Bigfoot, doesn't seem to have, like, really any interest at all in seeing one. You know what's really funny about that, Duke, is she's seen one. She saw one last year when we went to Gem Mountain. We were coming around a corner, and the the angle of the road was where the driver's side was down and the passenger side was up, and she could look over the side of the bank and see this meadow. She saw one running across that dang meadow, and it was a tan-colored. It was about seven feet tall. It had the classic arm sweep as it was running, and she she said, I what, what's that? And, and I, I, I can't see. And she, what, what are you looking at? And she goes, I think it's a, a really tall guy dressed, I mean, he's got too much hair. And I go, Oh my gosh. You know? And so I try to pull over and then by that time it was gone. She saw, she, I think she saw one running across the meadow. And, <laughs> and I look at her and I go, where is that? Yeah. Skullcohole? <laughs> no. Yeah. That was just outside of Jim mountain as we were coming from Phillipsburg on the right hand yeah. side, just, just past where all of the last of the homes were. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You know, I look at her and I go, welcome to the club, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really sucks when you keep seeing these creatures that people don't believe in all the time. And there's more and more of us every year that see them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and her, you know, she's a, a she was a huge skeptic, rolling the eyes and all of that. Now she yeah. ain't a skeptic anymore. Because uh she's seen she's seen it, she's heard them. Yeah, but you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting to watch her progress into a believer and not a skeptic. It's kind of it's kind of cool actually. Yeah, that was that was something. That so we we turn around, we walk back to the truck and load our stuff up, and and I'm I'm really disappointed, but I I don't show it to her because I wanted to stay and see you know what would happen because heck you know they were on all three of us there were three three knockings I could hear them on all all three sides of us we were in the middle of the triangle and yeah, I just I didn't think they were going to hurt me I, I I was hoping that they were just going to step out and show themselves but. I don't think with the rifles that we were carrying that they were going to do that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's probably uh, as close as I... If I didn't have the rifles and we were just going for a walk, I, I would have stayed. I would love to have seen what would have happened. Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really that afraid of them. I want to see what they look like. That's, that's my whole point in my, my quest and my search is I want to see what their face looks like. You know, I want to look at him like a, a one human to a, another hominid. You know, it's it's just uh, that's that's the the real question I have about the whole experience. I want to see what their face looks like. Well, careful what you wish for. Uh, I know, I know. I guess I know a face uh, a couple times now, and they weren't the they, same type either. So there's no guarantee you're going to see one of the. Looks kind of like a human type ones. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. They're not going to look like us, but I, I just really want to see how the blend is, what that blend is looks like. Well, there's, I've, I've been from what I hear from over here in this, uh, this region, that most of the sightings that people are getting with them over here, they seem to be, you know, type ones, or maybe type twos, but they're, they're, you know, very human looking. They have the kind of caveman yeah. or patty type look to them. And then you, you know, I've, like central, uh, central and eastern mm-hmm. Canada, you start running into those Wendigo frigate things. Don't look anything. Right, right. You know, I was wondering about that. You know, I was, I've been talking to a couple of people about this whole concept of 
Um, West Coast has a lot of type 1s, you know, type 2s, and then the type 3s. There's this banding, it seems, to go across the United States. And you see the type 3s, they're, they're all the way in the east and down into the south, you know, with the snout and the more of the baboon-looking faces, you know. And then, but when you move closer to the Midwest and then over toward, um, toward the West Coast, there seems to be more like type twos, and then the type ones are pretty much generally along along the west coast and into uh, Oregon, Washington, and up to BC. That's I'm beginning to think that that could be a uh, you know I'm I'm sort of wondering you know if you if you uh, put an overlay on the United States with the sightings, we could see just exactly where where the type ones and twos they. You'd have separate. to go through every sighting and try and figure out which type it was that they saw, and that would make it extra difficult. And the other yeah, thing is yeah. the classification system varies from person to person because there, some people class a type 4 as the caveman type, and the Upper East yep. Coast, they get a lot of those. Yeah. Well, but mm-hmm. now how do you, what's the difference between a caveman type and a patty type? To me, there's mm-hmm. no difference. It's just how much hair they have on their face. Other than right. that, you're talking about pretty much exactly the same thing. So maybe the Upper East Coast types are just, they are type ones. They've just been separate from the population on the West Coast for so long that there's that right. minor variation, you know, as far mm-hmm. as how much hair there's on their face or whatever. Um, and yeah. Claudia Aikman was saying that the one that she saw down there recently filmed, it looked like a caveman. It looked like what you'd think of like a Neanderthal or something. with more Charlotte eye type, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some you know, that, and, and sighting the other day it was the same same sort of description. They said it looked like um, if you've ever seen the movie Van Helsing, right at the beginning of it, he's fighting Mr. Hyde. Well, take Mr. Mm-hmm. Hyde, make him hairy as hell, take all of his clothes off. That's what it looked like. So yeah. again, that's the caveman type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going back to the the Native American connection, there there was. Um, a lot of inbreeding, you know, between Sasquatch and the Native Americans on the West Coast. And I think that's where some of that, the human genes get into the the Sasquatch community, which makes them look more human, is because of that that interaction between the the, uh, the First Nations and the Sasquatch a, a long time ago. And it doesn't seem to be happening now, um, but... Uh, of, a long, you know, a long time ago, it, it happened. Well, I know there were tribes where it was not taboo. It was considered to be okay for, you know, a, a woman to have a Bigfoot husband or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. that was, like, frowned upon. You know, there was a lot of the other parts of the country where if a Bigfoot was trying to get with your women, that was, like, time to declare war. <laughs> that, that was yeah. strictly a no-no, uh, you mm-hmm. know. So, and, and it would make it would make sense. And then if you look at... A lot of the the um, eyewitness descriptions of the Bigfoot over there, you tend to get a bunch of these ones that have that long, straight, hawk-like Native American nose that you yeah. don't get the descriptions of in other parts of the country. So, you know, mm-hmm. it could very well be, and I tend to think that there's definitely something to that. I do, too. I do, too. I've been doing a little research on that, and it sure does, because, you, know, you know, the further east you go, the more of the snout comes out. But then the, the further west you go, the more of the the, the human nose is uh, recognized. Yeah, I do believe that. I do. Yeah. Well, you definitely. I, yeah. you know, I tend to think that the, the type twos are more more primitive, and then the type threes. I'm not sure related to either of the other two. Uh, I agree. Or if, 
they could, actually, they could uh, be, some... yeah, they could be an isolated gene pool thing over there where they're, uh, one one has the snout, and then you know they're not mixing with the type twos or no. ones, so well, it becomes be more prominent. Apparent. Yeah, Kumbo yeah. seems to have found that where there's very few areas where there actually are type threes, and where they mm-hmm. are, they don't interact with the other ones, and they don't interact well with them. And you can almost guarantee right. they're not breeding with them. Like According east to of Kat, the Mississippi or something. Regular. Yeah, Cat said yeah. you know she yeah. saw her troop interact with a troop of. Type threes, and it was like they were ready to go to war with each other. They're not friends. Uh, That's right. And the Bigfoot ran, yeah. which should tell you something else. Well, what the hell the whole troop of Bigfoot run from? Uh, face eaters, type threes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have yep. them here. I mean, Cat actually saw a type three here uh, over by Bridger, Montana, in the mountains there. So there oh, you go. They're moving. Yeah. They're moving west. Yeah, they're wow. well. They're cold weather critters. They've got the long hair. A good. Mm-hmm. Good picture one was snapped up in Ontario a few years back. Um, and then you've got cool. the, the possible Beast of Seven Shoots picture that mm-hmm. also could be a Type 3 Gugly. So, no, really, they're, like, distributed through central Canada down into, like, central U.S., and you don't get reports of them south very often. And it tends to be more toward really big wilderness areas, really big mountain areas. You almost never run into those things around where there's humans at, you almost kind of have to be out in the middle of nowhere to run into one of those things. Yes. Yeah. I, they're, they're, uh, yeah. You know, um, you mentioned something about the uh, DNA um, project that is coming through right now. Yeah. I, I put out a uh, peanut butter jar and I had uh, to um, wired it to a tree pretty tightly you know you just couldn't snuggle it out of there and then i wrapped barbed wire around it uh, top and bottom all the way around it um that was going to be my hair collection project and it was right in the middle of my area and i um i left it there for a couple weeks when i came back it was gone but it was laying on the ground about 10 feet away back in into the trees i found it after doing a concentric search pattern, I finally found it. Um, it was flat. It was squashed flat. And I mean, you know, like when you take a toothpaste tube and you squish that thing flat to squeeze out all the toothpaste as flat as it can get? Yeah. That's what happened to this peanut butter jar. I still have it. I'm going to send you a picture of it, too. Um, Definitely what I I know. I, I know I have DNA in there. I know it because... You can see where they bit into it with their their teeth, and there was no hair on on the barbed wire. They somehow, with their fingers, got that thing out of there without leaving hair. Now, if a bear did that, there would have been hair all over the place. Right. Um, same with a. I don't think a raccoon could have pulled it out of there. You know, you it was the, it uh, had. Did you see the uh, the uh, episode that I just did recently here? with Claudia Akeley about her citing that she's suing the state of California, she had a peanut butter jar. Yeah. And something I saw broke the yeah. side of the peanut butter jar, didn't unscrew the lid, it broke the side, and there was still a stick in it from where it had been reaching into the peanut butter jar to pull the peanut butter out with a stick. How oh, cool. That yeah, that's that. tool gathering there, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Now, here's the other thing now. With what you've got there, and, and we were just talking about this off air before we started recording, and Richard mm-hmm. had a chance to hear this show because it just got recorded earlier today. 
but I was telling them about what we were talking about just kind of briefly. And what we're actually referencing is that they have a specific type of mucous membrane that's connected to only one haplogroup from uh, sub-Saharan Africa, which could oh. potentially be Bigfoot spit. And they guess what? They've got that. So what we need for all the researchers to do is quit, forget about hair and all that garbage for right now. Get some Bigfoot mm-hmm. spit. Because if we can yeah. match that up, they will know for a fact that what we got is a Bigfoot, not a human. Right. That is absolutely correct. And I you should see what they did to this jar. You know how heavy duty plastic those peanut butter jars are? Yeah. I, you can't take you cannot squeeze those flat with you know, a human cannot do that. You should see how flat this thing is. And it has been licked clean, man. Licked clean. There's just a few little specks down on the bottom. I know that thing's got some in it. I know it. I just I just need to get it tested. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you want to save that for sure. As soon as we figure out who it is that's going to do the spit testing for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's funny because we were just talking about that. Okay, researchers, start putting out apples. Try and get ones that have a bite taken out of them. We need spit samples. <laughs> you know, that's really funny that you say that. You can pull a booger out of a booger's nose, whatever. <laughs> That'll work, too. <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned that because I, at my gifting tree, I'd left some apples there. Well, I had drove on down. After I dumped them off, I drove them on down the road. I drove, I drove the truck on down the road. And I went down oh, five, six, seven miles and piddled around down there and turned around and came back. And as I came back, I pulled over and ran down to the apples to see if, if you know, if any of them were gone. And sure enough, there was, there was some of them gone, but there was an apple that was just laying there on top of the pile that had bite marks in it. And the freaking juice was still dribbling out of it. Oh my God. And it was just, you know, 20, 25 minutes ago that I put them yeah. down there. And when I, and that they didn't expect nice me to double back. That would have been nice and beautifully fresh and perfect for what we're looking for. Make sure to do that. I know. <laughs> and and, the, and here, here's the funny kicker about that. That bite mark looked small. It was like small. a small, it was like a human bite mark, but it was small. And I swear, I must have been one of their, their juvies. The small yeah. little juvie was eating. Well, and here, here comes the truck, so he dropped yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. He dropped it and beat feet back into the woods. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm. Oh, I'm. Gosh. I wish oh I had God. taken a picture of that. Uh, well, next yep. time, make sure you got the plastic bag with with that apple in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that peanut butter jar is going to cover it, man. Because I do. It's. It really. It's. It's a good sample. It's a really good sample. It's just hilarious what their tenacity and creativity is like. They can't figure out how exactly to do it the right way, but they're going to figure out how to get it out of there anyway. Yeah. Using some method that we can't even physically do. (laughs) Oh, man. I had that thing so tied down on that tree, and I just, I just, uh, I know that a bear didn't get to that. It it would have left hair all over that barbed wire. Absolutely. It would have left, oh, it would have been draped with hair. Yeah, that's something with five fingers got that thing out of there with a, really a lot of strength. This it was tied in there pretty tight. Yeah, wow. it's was, it was cool. Wow. So I know yeah, you that was, was uh, 
you've had you've had a bunch of uh, interesting experiences so far. If you want to share any more, of them. I I have gone to um, well, uh, Cindy Goodbreak was putting on a a Bigfoot um, talk up in Blanchard, Idaho, and she Wait, invited me up to. Cindy this and this was Goodbreak. Yes, yeah, yeah, and. Um, she invited me to come up and be a guest speaker at her her little, her conference, her gathering there. So I, I took the time and I drove up there and and I got into town about an hour or so early, and there was snow all over the ground, but it was raining like heck. I mean, it was just pounding rain. And uh, I get in there and I'm looking around. And I'm going, yeah, you know, okay, I got an hour. What am I going to do? You know, I'm already full of coffee. I, don't need any food. So I'm going to drive. I crossed uh, Spirit Lake and the bridge, and I started driving up the hill. I got up to the top of the hill, and I turn around, and I start coming back, and I roll my window down, and I'm looking like I always do, looking for structures. And I get to the spot, and I see this arch, and it was plain as day. I didn't see it going up, but I saw it coming back down. And I pulled over, got out, took some pictures of it, pushed my way through, there was a game trail that ran right underneath the arch, and it went right back into the woods, and there was, there was another road back there, but it, was, it had a, a wall of um, spruce trees on, on the side facing me, so I walked back through there, I pushed my way through those spruce trees, and got drenched, because they were just covered with water, but I got back through there, and I started walking along this logging road, I take maybe 30 steps, and right up on the hill, I hear this, <laughs> you know, and he starts coming down the hill, and I go, oh, shit, you know, here I am. I go, oh, my God, here I am, you know. Nobody knows I'm here. I'm up here by myself. I'm getting out of here. So I just good slowly call. turn, and I walk, I walk back, good call. Yeah, I walk back through that arch, and I got back into my car, and I started to drive down the hill, and I called Cindy. I, I said, hey, I'm here. And she goes, oh, where are you? And I go, up on top of the mountain. I, I just got growled at. She was like, what? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, drove, I drove on down. We did the conference, and I, uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I was there for an hour, and I found a freaking clan, and they reacted to me. So it, it, was, it was nuts. Yeah, she, she researches that whole um, from Ratham all the way to Blanchard and all of that, whole, all of that mountain range back behind there. That, that's what, where she likes to go, and she does. she's had a lot of the a lot of activity back there. She's got some good audio from there, man. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, getting back to the whole Idaho doesn't have any Bigfoot thing, I was facing the same thing when I moved here to Montana, and everybody went, oh, there's no Bigfoot in Montana, and I went, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I walked up (laughs) into the mountains right next to town, two miles up in the mountains, and found giant tree structures and went, you guys are either lying or you're clueless because this place is crawling with Bigfoot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I had Ritzul out here who pretty much agrees 100% every direction he went to, every different mountain chain he went to, he was finding mm-hmm. sight of them. He didn't get skunked anywhere. He's like, I've never seen that in the Middle East, in, in the Midwest where I live. You know, I can go to some places, mm-hmm. there's, you know, trees and forests and stuff, not necessarily find anything. But here it's like every direction I went, there was something there to find. <laughs> there's plenty of them around here. And then you've got, like, most of central Idaho, there's not even people living in it. It's a giant wilderness area. 
what is it, like 4 yeah. million acres or some ridiculous, gigantic thing like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, no, there's no way um, Bigfoot could be living in an area of 4 million acres of mountains with no people. In it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and the food over there is just so abundant. You know, you got yeah. always, there's so much fresh water. My gosh, Montana's got some of the most beautiful rivers that I've ever seen. There's always nice streams. You know, they have everything they need to live there. And, oh. and, and it's the same It's the same in Idaho, you know. I talked to this Nez Perce gal that um, she's had six or seven sightings of Sasquatch around around uh, the mountains, around Williston. She's, I'm, I'm going to try and get her to, Get on your show. I'm gonna, oh, I I'm gonna definitely get, would appreciate it. I'd love to have her on. That's it. You know, the more of the people I get from around here in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, to actually come forward and start talking about this, it's going to help a lot because you know as well as I do, Richard, there's a shitload of people around here that have had sightings yeah. and they just don't talk about it. And if it starts right. coming out and other locals start talking about it, they're going to start coming forward and sharing them. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Bigfoot sighting database is going to go from 42 to 400 in Montana, boom, like that, because people that yep. have had them are going to start actually talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, uh, my sighting was in uh, um, 2014. I was just driving on the way to go to the Kentucky Derby at the at the uh, Indian Casino in Worley. And, and I, that's the first time I ever saw one. Was uh, It was just up on top of a of a field up in the tucked way in the right-hand top corner. And as I was driving through, I, I looked through these little gaps in the trees as I, you know, they're like little finger meadows. And I looked up there and I saw that sucker and I, I go, what the heck? And I pulled over, and I and I turned the car around. And I went back up, and I got out of the car, and I looked back up where it was, and it was gone. But there was no no mistaking what I saw. It, it was a, a a rusty reddish brown color. It, it was, yeah. That that's that's uh, that was my first my first and only sighting was a, a quick little glimpse, and that that got me really hooked, man. Because that. <laughs> That got me hooked. I go, yeah, you know, all of you, you know, you find footprints, you see tree structures, but there's nothing like seeing something that was there. And then when you go back to look at it closer, it's not there anymore. And you know, it, yeah, it's it was it was amazing. It it changed my life. It really did. I know. That, I, that, I'm looking that, forward to seeing if uh, Jeff accidentally accidentally recorded some tree peekers and that tree peeker close-up video that we just did the breakdown on here recently where we were walking around up there again like we usually do looking for tracks mm-hmm. and documenting changes in tree structures and yeah. he heard some noise and he went walking over there with his cell phone going just randomly filming everything off to his side as he was walking and it looked mm-hmm. like he caught three tree peekers so as soon as cool. it's like there's you know the snow gets low enough that we can get up there to do comparison shots because i mean i can walk to exactly where he was standing for all mm-hmm. three of them so there's no, there's going to be no doubt of exactly yeah. where to stand to take the picture. We're going to do the comparisons with the same lousy cell phone, and then we're also going to do comparison shots from the same spot with a good camera yeah. so that there'll be comparison to all of it to look at, and we'll see how many of them were actually something and how many of them were just blob squatches. But yeah. just going through it at random, I, I caught one of them by accident and went, whoa, 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 wait, 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 back up, look at because it. it goes by in like one second. That's how much actual mm-hmm. time you have to look at it. And it's over in the corner of the frame. And that was mm-hmm. enough to get me to go back and go through, look frame by frame at it and go, whoa. 
Wow, and then I cool. sent a video to one of my friends, and he went, oh, you're talking about the one at four seconds in? And I'm like, no, I'm talking about the one at seven seconds in. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then I went back and looked at that one and went, oh, my God, it does look like there's another one there. Well, meanwhile, I had sent this to two other one of my friends, and one of them got back to me and went, yeah, 17 seconds in over on the left. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And I went and looked at wow. that one and went, damn, that one actually moves three times. Good catch there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's cool, man. I, I, I have some uh, couple pictures that I'd like to have analyzed with somebody with some good software to check for me because I told you earlier um, before we got on the air that I, I've had them within 20 feet of me. But I also had a camera in my hand, and, and they were tree slapping. They were 20 feet away from me, just slapping the tree and on left and right. They couldn't get the triangle on me because I had my back to a, a, a downslope behind me that led to a road that was very sparsely covered with trees, and they couldn't get that third one behind me. And it was pissing them off, so they tried to drive me out of there. And I took a, I took a, a quick pick of the one on the right, and then I took a pick of the one on the left. And I don't have the software that can find and blow it up, you know, and keep it pixelated, you know, from being pixelated out. But I'll yeah. send you those pictures, too, so, so if Actually, you want to look at them. I do know somebody that does have the software and the know-how to work on that, and it's Grizz right up in Libby. He, he right on. Because in one of the pictures, you can see a dark object in there, but you, I can't see it because what did you my eyes aren't good. As long as you got um, 300 PSI or better, mm -hmm. uh, it will work. Yeah, I'll send those to you. Those are those are good picks. I'm really curious to see if I caught something in that one. That that's that's probably my my best attempt at getting a, a, a photo of them. But I have a, I have a project coming up this summer that I'm going to try. And uh, when I was watching some of M.K. Davis's uh, work on on that one film that he had of those Sasquatch that were coming through, climbing that fence in the garden and all that. That gave me the, the – and the, the way that guy got that was he um, put his game cam into uh, a mirror, you know. And so if right. they're going to see that IR, they're not they're going to avoid it like heck. But if you're aiming your camera into a mirror from like 8, 12 inches away and you have a nice wide-angle uh, mirror, like I bought one. I got it ready to go. I'm just waiting for the weather to break. But I'm going to set that up and put that game cam right into that mirror and then behind the camera – out in the open, I'm going to put all those apples, and I'm going to set that sucker up. And I, you know what? I think I think it's going to be a good a good go on that one, man. I think I might get lucky. I really do. Well, even if you get an entire troop coming in there, juggling the apples, doing a tap dance routine, <laughs> and then uh, you know, taking off the majority of them, that's all sort of that doesn't that that'd be cool, but it's not that important. If one of them spits on one of the apples, get a sample of it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go through that sucker frame by frame too, because I, <laughs> yeah, I leave a chew bone for them. Maybe they'll sink their teeth in it and just throw it down because it doesn't it doesn't taste good or something. I don't know, <laughs> but I like yeah, I really well, like the that. Cat said that they think is disgusting. If you could make an apple that tasted like something disgusting, so they take one bite out of it and then drop it. That'd be ideal. Yeah, a, a crab apple. Said? <laughs> no, well, I, I, from what I gather, they'll eat pretty much everything, including skunk cabbage and slugs. Oh, sure. she said it was a, it was an MRI. It was a, or a, a, yeah, 
uh, MRE, an old meal ready to eat. Uh, military. Huh. military yeah, rabbit. ready to eat meal. Yeah, I had to eat those damn things. Yeah, he actually spit it out and like dug a little trench with his toe and spit it in there and buried it with dirt. It was wow. <laughs> so you can somehow yeah. inject the, the the flavor of an MRE into an apple. I think oh. you probably have. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know they've got a really amazing food source um, in, in my area. They have a reservoir, and it's a popular reservoir, and people um, all camp on one side of it and it's uh pretty desolate on the other and i've seen i've seen snails in that in that uh reservoir i've seen them the size of baseballs and can you imagine yeah, yeah they, they'll they eat those you know oh, man, yeah, man, what a food down. source for that Hell yeah. yeah and and i have come i've come down that road on that one side of that reservoir and i have found piles of goose feathers. It looks like somebody plucked the goose clean. And there's a lot of geese in that area, and I know they're coming in there and taking those geese because yeah. goose meat's really greasy, and, and they, they like that grease. They do. Yeah. They, they, they like yeah. the grease. <laughs> yeah. You know, they fish. That, though, that's one of their, their skills, too, that people don't usually think, well, a bird, how does a, how does a Bigfoot catch a bird? Um, the same way the natives used to catch a bird, the the, uh, the ladies would go around and do that sort of thing, and even yeah. show you how it was done on uh, the old Mountain Man movie Jeremiah Johnson, where he's going right. to waste a shot with his pirate pistol, and she puts pushes the barrel down and goes, "No, don't do that," and she just sneaks around on it, picks up a rock, knocks its head off of the rock. There's your bird yeah. instead. Well, guess who's yeah. really really good at throwing rocks? Um, mm-hmm. Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're very good. They they can, yeah. The uh, Sandy Colfax didn't hold a candle to them. They're that good. They're amazing yeah. rock throwers. I've had clacking done to me, but I've never had rocks thrown at me. Um, I've had them clack. Um, I've had them uh, whoop. And and one that one time that I I was when I got the two pictures, uh, I, I ducked down behind some two little spruce a little, little divot in the ground with spruce trees growing around it. I hid down in there, and it flipped them out, and they started knocking and moving in. I could hear the knocks coming in. I counted 18 knocks in 15 minutes. It was, uh, it was incredible. They were they were oh, moving in trying to locate me. And then yeah. when I stood up, that's when they really slapped that tree really hard was when I stood up. It, it pissed them off that I uh, outwitted them. Up. You should have jumped up, put both arms out to your side, and yelled, ta-da! (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what I said. Um, Because before, a couple months before that, I caught five fish, and I gifted them at the the tree. I I found a big piece of bark, and I put the fish in there, and I gifted them. And when I came back, uh, they had torn the X down. The fish were gone, and the X was gone. They just ripped it down. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I got that documented. So suddenly yeah. you weren't trespassing anymore. No, I wasn't. Nope. They. That's why I'm not afraid of them. See, I'm because yeah. of certain little things that have happened to me. So here I am over at the reservoir. They've they've just knocked 18 times. They moved in on me. When I stood up, they hand slapped really hard. And it was close. I could feel it. It scared the crap out of me. I came off the ground about a foot because it was so darn close, and the sound was just so loud. I held my hands up in the air, and I yelled, fish. I go, fish! 
and everything stopped. They didn't knock. They didn't whoop. They didn't do nothing. They just stopped. Everything just stopped. And and I just looked. I held my head and my hands up in there, and I, I said, brother, brother, like that. And then I go, okay, goodbye. And I turn around, and I walk down the hill to the road and left. But that, that blew me away. I told Jim King about that. And he told me, he goes, Haas, that's only going to work. He goes, Haas, that's only going to work once. Who's Jim King? Oh, you mean Bear. Bear, yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> he told me that. Bear told me, he goes, that's only going to work once. And I go, oh, all right. Well, I'm going to take, take your word for it because you know a lot more about it than I do. But it sure worked that time. It well, just, no, he's he's totally right because they're swift on the uptake, and you can't use the same ploy on them twice. And right, even animals right. that you would think to be incapable of that sort of uh, uh, mental uh, imagination and and sort of yeah. you know long yeah. long thoughtfulness are definitely capable of it. I used to have tegus, and a tegu they like to hide. They'll hide something, mm-hmm. and when you find them, they'll find a new place to hide. Well, right. I had one of them that was in a small room that, that basically had a walk-in closet and a rack of books along one wall in it. And he found 22 places to hide in that tiny... And this is a three-foot lizard. Okay? <laughs> and every time he got sneakier and more incredible and more difficult to find him. One time he was in a one-foot-by-one-foot uh, uh, one box that was just stacked full of papers. And he had somehow managed to worm down into the middle of a pile of papers. So he had papers oh. underneath him and on top of him and was inside yeah. this box. The only reason I found him was because I knew he was in the room. There was no way yeah. he could get out of it. I had to search everything. Right. Another time he got behind the middle shelf of books and he pushed all the books out enough to get behind them. And they right. were all sort of the same level out in front, so you didn't notice there was anything behind them. Yeah, he had a little and cavity then, back in there. Yeah, yeah, he made one. And then another <laughs> time, one of the sneakiest ones, is he actually crawled up, and he must have had to jump to grab onto it, but he had gotten inside of my leather trench coat, and he was not only inside the trench coat, he had crawled inside between the liner and the actual leather in the sleeve of the trench coat and was hiding in there. So, if, wow. you know, if a teddy was smart enough to do that, imagine what a Bigfoot could do. You know, I've been thinking about that whole thing about comparing human brain size to Sasquatch brain size and, and what that does. It gives them way more capabilities than we do. Our human brain size is between 1,400 and 1,600 cc's. Look at the size of a Sasquatch head. I'm thinking it's between 1,800 and 2,200 cc size. And by having that larger brain and the, the capabilities are endless, you know, they're, maybe, that's, maybe that's why, you know, that, that they do the things that they do. Is that they're so dang smart. And in some ways, you know, just take technology out of the conversation. They're way smarter than we are. Yeah. They, can live, well, they can live without clothes. They live without fire. They don't need tools. You know, well, they're just amazing. Capable that we are. We need we need fire clothes and tools because we're puny. They're not. Right. Yeah. Let's let's yep. say let's assume for a minute that they've got the same brain power that we do, and they're just making better use of it because they spend all their time out in the wilderness dealing with these things as day to day issues. You know, mm-hmm. not like something novel. When we go camping, yeah. that's novel for them. They're camping yeah. every day, 
and they've trained yeah. them the time their little little squatchlets to deal with sure. it. So from that standpoint, it actually makes sense. But there seems to be they have capabilities beyond what we can do, and it oh, may absolutely. not be so much that they're smarter. It may just be that there's like parts of our brains that have been turned off through disuse. and theirs has been developed. And That's theirs exactly still been yep. developed. Yep. And we're still using it. See, yep. they don't have to worry about pain bills. They don't have to worry about their dingleberry neighbor messing with them, you know, yeah. or none of that kind of a deal. You know, their brain, they're out there, and they're they're just they're so in tune to nature that you know their brains over um, generations and generations have just become you know, um, just amazing. The things that they can do, how they think, you know, they're, they're just, they're incredible. They really are. I'm, I'm really blessed to to have an area that I I can interact with them and and not really, you know, I'm not going to say I don't feel danger, but I don't feel like I'm in danger, but I do feel danger because they are still wild. You know, I I don't, I don't underestimate them by at all. No, I don't underestimate them all at all, but you know they are uh, they are what they are they're, they're they are still part human you know they have some of that hominid characteristics and i i don't think that they're just out to kill people but if you aim a gun at them or take a shot at them or do not heed their warnings then something bad might happen yeah they're certainly more than capable of doing it the only thing holding them back yeah. is them oh yeah they're yeah yeah, and I, you know, it's all about trust. You know, if you get out there and and you have, you know, like Greg Yost, I I I love the guy to death, man. He's he he's uh, really opened my eye up on changing my attitude. Uh, and since I've changed my attitude, uh, I've talked to Greg about it, and more more and more encounters have been happening. And I think he's on to something about, you know, it, it's. It's not a sappy love thing, but if you have love in your heart and you're going in there and you're not, you know, not thinking negative things like how can I trick these guys into falling into a trap? If you go in there and just think, you know, hey, you know, these guys are just respect them. And it seems to have worked because, you know, Greg's given a lot of really good advice. I'd love to meet him. I really would. Uh, Actually, Taylor's been out squashing with him, too, and he had a lot of good things to say about Greg. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. He's he's obviously getting uh, getting some experience with it. You know, whatever he's doing, it's working. Yeah, he's another one of yep. those maniacs over there in that deadly Indiana Triangle. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> horrible things happen all the time. <laughs> Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, all those guys in there. Yeah, yeah, it's some interesting territory over there. You know, it's. Uh, Especially when you get into Tennessee and Kentucky, there's like areas there where you look at it and you go, "Well, how can there not be Bigfoot here? For God's sakes, look what it looks like!" You know. Yeah. But uh, you know, some of the other areas where you're more or less out on the the flat plains, and it's mostly been turned into cultivated land for the farmers, and then there's little cities mm-hmm. and stuff. That one's kind of more of a stretch. When you see something there, you're like, "Well, what? Where the hell is this thing hiding the rest of the time?" You know. And they're real sneaky. They got ways of doing it, but it's just, uh, it's even tougher for people to run into things in situations like that. For us, it's easy. We're out here, you know, pack west, mountains, forest, da-da-da. Well, you know, you see a Bigfoot. Well, where else would you expect to see one? But if you're, like, driving Mm -hmm. down a freeway in Ohio and you see one on the side of the road, what the hell is that? You know, you don't expect to see a Bigfoot over there. 
cultivated fields all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> oh God. Yeah, they see them in corn patches a lot over there. That's yeah. that's uh but over here, you know, when you think about it, gosh, you could walk right by one in an Idaho forest or a Montana forest, and you won't see them because, gosh, you know, the way they crawl on their on their fingers and toes, that that must be an amazing thing to see because you know they can really they can boogie, they can move out. Yeah, it takes ridiculous strength. Again, you know, imagine if you're 800 pounds and you're putting all your weight just on your toes and your fingers, and you can actually move fast while you're doing it. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's why I think in some ways that people um, misinterpret uh, and and call it cloaking or or that kind of a thing. I think that they're so dang fast that your eye can't keep up with them. Yeah, yeah, and you know uh, that's just my own opinion enough, about Kevin. Speaking of you know, Idaho Bigfoot, Kevin mentioned that too that Glag could actually run so fast that even though you were watching him run away and you were seeing where he was going, you were still having trouble keeping up with it. Right. Yep. Uh, I had one run right by me. He was probably 50 feet uh, from me. There was a, a little row of uh, trees in between us that I couldn't see through, but I could hear him running because the dang ground was shaking. And he took four steps and then he was gone. Four steps. It went boom, 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 gone. I mean, I didn't hear another peep after that. It was, I couldn't believe he, he covered that much ground in that short amount of time. And the ground, I could feel the ground literally shaking from his size it was it was really cool it was really cool <laughs> and really disturbing too right? all at the same time oh. and for obvious oh, yeah. reasons oh my head was on a swivel on my way back to the track i was whoa you know i was looking over my shoulder i'm not, not ashamed to say <laughs> you know your bravery can only take you so far <laughs> then common sense better kick in <laughs> yeah yeah, I remember hearing a report, and I can't remember where I heard it exactly. I think it was a kid that was, like, playing hide-and-seek with his friends or something. And uh, he was he was hiding out in the woods and waiting for his friends to get anywhere near him and find him. And he heard this big to-do, big ruckus and gunshots and people screaming and dogs barking and stuff. And all of a sudden, this Bigfoot came running down the trail from, the you know, the campground from where the noise was coming from kind of like a little ways past him, jumped off the trail on the other side of the trail from where he was hiding into a little pit, laid on its back and threw leaves over itself. And then, wow. you know, like a minute or two minutes right behind him comes all these people with dogs and stuff running down the trail, apparently chasing him, trying to find mm-hmm. him. They ran right past where he was and kept on going. And after they were a ways down the trail, he got back up from under the leaves and stuff, cut across the trail and went the opposite direction further into the woods away from him. And this kid just wow. sat there, like, in shock the whole time watching this going on, going, what the wow. hell? What an, what an experience that was. Wow. Oh, my God. That was wow. the hell out of me so bad. Okay, here's something that isn't supposed to exist. And here's how yeah. I'm hiding from humans. I'm never going in the woods again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny about that, because, you know, I really I really like the, the forest. I was raised in Alaska, and... I I pretty much had a uh, free run. I could do whatever I wanted to, just be home by dark. And gosh, you know, in the summertime it doesn't get dark till one, so that was a yeah. big plus. <laughs> <laughs> so I and and there's, there's grizzlies and you know and there's a lot of animals up there that can hurt you, like moose and that. But I've just never really been afraid of them. But you know, when you think about Sasquatch and and then you go into um, Wendigos. 
Well, those 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 are a little bit different because they they aren't um, the benevolent creatures. They're they're no. and you know they're out to hurt you. Yeah, they're and, carnivorous. All you have to do is yeah, they, look at yeah. one grinning at you from about forty feet away and get a nice close up look at its teeth in broad daylight, like I did. Yeah, and you can yeah. absolutely definitively say that is a carnivore. Yeah, <laughs> and um, that's a game changer. Because with with grizzlies, you you know you know their behaviors. You can pretty much predict how a grizzly is going to act in certain circumstances, and the same with the moose, you know, and wolves. But those those other ones that are aggressive like that, um, you don't know what they're going to do because you know you know you just don't know. You know have they eaten in a week? No. I don't know. Well, it's not going to be me. That's for sure. Now, look at so far, besides myself, I've only found two other people that have actually had an encounter with one. And are that's amazing, man. About it. And I think, mm-hmm. first of all, it's like there's not very many of them, thank God. There's not very many yeah. of them. But I also think that they hardly ever make a mistake. And it's very rare that they'll just feel like showing themselves to you to scare you out of the area. Mm-hmm. I think 99% of the time, if you see one, you're not going to be reporting it. Right. That's right. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think that are are they a subspecies, or do you think maybe they've been um, so many years of interbreed or interbreeding amongst, uh, you know, like a type three that they have they have physically changed and and well, what is your feelings on that? Man, you know, I'm not sure at all. There's a possible precursor for uh, uh, a type three, the Gugwe in a relic uh, primate called the Dinopithecus, which is mm-hmm. essentially a giant baboon. Yeah. And if you take its tail off and teach it to walk upright, that's a gugwe. You've got it. There it is, yeah. right there. We've got bones of it. It was a real critter. So a descendant of that could easily cover what is the gugwe. A wendigo, on the other hand, man, I don't know, is it an earlier, much more primitive offshoot of the Sasquatch? that never did any inbreeding with humans, considered us prey animals, um, yeah. back, you know, to like previous and multiple ice ages where, let's face it, if you're a big ape and you're living, you know, or primate, you know, humans are apes too, if you're a big ape and you're living up in the northern areas just like Neanderthal did, you're going to have to start eating a pretty much 100% meat diet because there just isn't that much in the way of plants or anything unless you've got a double and quadruple stomach to process it. You can't eat mm-hmm. that. So, you know, there's berries during the summer. There's a few tubers you can pull up and eat. But 99% of the time, you're killing and eating something. So if if these animals are living in these ice age conditions up near where the ice sheet is, following the mammoths and the other mega fauna around, one would expect that they would also become carnivores because they're not really equipped to do that sort of grazing. Apes can't really graze. So Mm -hmm. they've got two options, leave the area or become a carnivore. Well, if they choose option B, they turn into the Wendigo, essentially. Um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I've been thinking about it, you know, and I think that's how that happened because, you know, it's, uh, boy, they sure, they just the, the the facial features that they've, that, you know, the pictures that people have drawn, those teeth aren't made for eating um, vegetation. No, no, and they don't have... There's really not much of anything human looking to their face. They look more like an orangutan than they do right. a chimp or a gorilla right. or a human. 
They look less yeah. human than, you know, <laughs> and orangutan's the closest thing pretty much from what I've seen. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, and like I said, uh, you know, from the legends and stuff, the natives up there that have had, you know, hundreds of years of experience with them and everything, it's, uh, you know, stay the hell away from these things. They're 100% bad. They will eat you. Um, in fact, they're vicious. They will go out of their way to hunt you down and eat you. They may mm-hmm. follow you for a week after you went through their territory just to terrify you because it's fun. Up yeah, there. It's, that's or, similar to the... Uh, yeah, alternate theory here, and this is an even more creepy one, is okay. that like some other cryptids that I can think of off the top of my head that we're not going to talk about right now, um, and the adrenochrone green, green and the whole thing. Um, and I know this from a fact, if you frighten an animal before you kill it, the meat tastes different than if it died peacefully because it has adrenaline pumping through its system and it actually sure. changes the taste of the meat. So does the Wendigo actually terrify its prey on purpose to make the meat taste more yummy? I think that's a good assumption. I really do. You know, and I've heard, you know, that's true. You, you, uh, you do that to a deer, its meat is different. Yeah, you know, and, I know. and I other animals. Meat, uh, yeah. I lived in a small town where we had a slaughter shop where they were not too particular about that, and they didn't care if animals were terrified when they were killing them. And you actually could tell the difference in the taste of the meat from there and from another one that was getting the cattle from the exact same place a few miles down the road that was slaughtering them there and wasn't letting them know what was coming. There was a really yeah. distinct, obvious taste difference. And we have a crappy sense of taste. You know, big predators. Right, our taste buds better. suck. So yeah. yeah, so to them it's like the difference between a white castle slider and filet mignon for all we know. You know <laughs> it's like totally yeah. worth it to chase you around and terrify you for a couple of days. And then there's the other possibility that there's actually a paranormal connection and that they have some mm-hmm. sort of a de- not demonic spirit infesting them and they're actually getting energy off of your terror. So terrifying you is like I, feeding I that do. energy. And then when they finally get tired of playing that game, then they terrify you one last time to get you full of adrenaline and kill you and eat you. That's just like kind of like cats and the way they play with mice before they yeah. kill them and eat them. Maybe yeah. that's the same thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's for cats. I think it's just an amusement thing. It's a toy. But mm-hmm. for some of these supernatural critters, uh, it, yeah. it really, you know, the the lore on it is that they, if they can get you to um, feel terror, panic, fear, any negative emotions that are strong enough, they can feed off of it. It gives them energy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's, uh, you know, that's the terrifying part. That's why I'm so glad I'm in Idaho because the, the, the Sasquatch here, they'd rather run from you, you know, and, but most of them are, are curious, you know, they, you know, if you, I've heard, I've had some people from Lewiston um, talk to me about some of their Bigfoot encounters and that it's always when they're camping, you know, they're camping, sitting around the fire and, and they hear, something walking around them or they see eye shine and all of that. I think it's just curious, you know, and that's why I'm really glad I live in Idaho because we don't have all of those, <clears throat> the, the, I don't know what you'd call them, aggressive, super aggressive ones. We just don't seem to have them here. And I think a lot of it has to do with how the Indians treated them when they were, when they first discovered them, because maybe, you know, look at the Blackfeet. My God, that was, that was a warring tribe, you know, and they probably, yeah. Uh, stirred yeah, them up kind for of quite a few centuries. It, it is seriously, that's a great idea. And if you look at it that way, all yeah. the tribes over here on the east side of the Bitterroot Mountains, who have you got? The Sioux, the Blackfoot, yeah. the Crow. Yep. Are they yep. peaceful? Uh, no. 
no way. You know, Nez Pierce were peaceful because they accepted Lewis and Clark into their fold and didn't lift their scalps. But if those guys ever went north and ran into the Blackfeet, we wouldn't be talking about Lewis and Clark. Yeah, Blackfeet, that's another one, too, and also over on this side. Um, you yeah. know, I think the only reason it, we don't it's have... It's an interesting angle. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's an interesting angle to think about. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got two things that are keeping the Wendigo out of this area. One of them is that uh, the Pukwudgies live over here, and they probably mm-hmm. don't like them. And the other thing is that we got mountain giants around here, and they'll just stomp one flap like an empty tin can. So yeah. Wendigo, uh, you know, may be able to make headway against Bigfoot because he's bigger and badder, but when he runs into a friggin' mountain troll, splat, end of Wendigo. So that could yeah. be why we don't have any of them around here right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a plan ever. Get eye on it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I really, you know, that's that's a darn good point too. That is, that's that's probably why. And I and uh, the 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 Bitterroot Mountains is a natural fence between Idaho yeah. and Montana. Yeah, Those that's, mountains. That's another odd thing. I mean, you start looking at where the where the violent encounters start, and the best, of course, report out of this area is former President Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. And that happened just over the Bitterroot Mountains into the Idaho side. Essentially, it's on it's where we're talking about in Montana, pretty much. It's right on the edge of the Bitterroots, and that's where all the bad reputation Bigfoots start right out. Even up to present day, the people that interact or know that they're around there or whatever over in that area are going, yeah, don't go over there by the Bitterroots. That's where the nasty ones are. Stay over here mm-hmm. on the side. Ours are okay. And and it really seems to, to hold true that if you go, especially the south west corner of Montana, there's been a lot of aggressive encounters and really bad things that have uh, come out of that area, and, it, and some of it's yep. historical. John Stoner, in yeah. 1882, was on his horse riding back to Missoula, got jumped and attacked by a wild man. 1882. Yep. Wow. That's right here. Yeah. It's right it's got, And, you know, when you think about it that way, that that kind of takes the white man out out of the uh, equation of why Sasquatch is so aggressive in certain areas because we hadn't really gotten our, ourselves established, you know, and hadn't been in that territory for a hundred, you know, less than a hundred years. But yeah. the Indians, they've been there forever, you know, yeah. and I think I think that's that's a really good a good clue of of why why they are that aggressive. It's, it's yeah. the interactions can, of the know, various if tribes. That, if that holds tr- it holds true, and of course people can check into this or something else, that we can actually go out to that. Talk to your local yeah. natives. What's their take on Bigfoot? If their mm-hmm. myth is that you know their legends of Bigfoot is that hey, le- a Bigfoot is dangerous, and you know he can hurt people and stuff like that, and stay away from them. Hmm, maybe they had bad relations with Bigfoot, and that's yeah. why the Bigfoot in your area tend to act that way. On the other yeah. hand, it was a tribe where they go. Well, you should mostly just leave them alone. They're a kind of people, you know, and is, and they're not really dangerous or hostile as long as you leave them alone. No problem. Mm-hmm. Well, you might be in an area where you can get some serious Bigfoot research done because maybe those ones never had bad relations with the local humans, at least until the white yeah. man showed up, and don't have mm-hmm. that sort of ingrained all humans are dangerous attitude mm-hmm. that some of them in some areas definitely do because even going back to before there was a white man, they already had terrible relations with the natives that were living there. And, and yeah. you know, I'm not blaming the natives. In some of these areas, the friggin' Bigfoot were the ones that started this crap and totally deserved mm-hmm. to have war dumped on their heads. And the Wendigo right. especially, there's no having good relations with those things. 
it's either leave their area or exterminate it. There's your choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you look at Washington State, there isn't a tribe in Washington State that's overly aggressive, you know, like there is in Montana and Wyoming and and uh, in that area. You know, you look at those guys, and, and I think that's why a lot of the the interactions in Washington State, um, there's they're really not that aggressive over there. There has been a few instances, but you know, other than that, I think that was just because a human made a mistake. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's the case the majority of the times. I think the amount of times that you get an actual crazy rogue male that's like stalking humans or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, um, I think that's really rare. I think a lot a lot of these weird missing person, uh, you know, cryptid attack type things um, are actually being falsely attributed to an ordinary old Bigfoot when it's probably something else that's actually doing it. Bigfoot's just taking the blame for it because people don't have enough of the depth of knowledge to go, well, this one actually looks like Dog Man. Or, you know, this is right next to the Crow Reservation in a, a rock field, and we found tiny poison arrows near there. Hmm, could be a Puckwoodgie attack. I mean, nobody knows that. They're not doing that kind of research and investigation on it. So if somebody disappears out here, and it's a wild wilderness area, and there's no explanation for it, and maybe Bigfoot grabbed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, the government will blame a bear. Yeah, and it, well, a bear does everything. Bears do everything. They even bears do, yeah. yeah Dang bears. Boulder grizzlies. They, they need... the, <laughs> the boulder grizzlies over there in Idaho that throw rocks at you when you go dirt biking out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's <laughs> yeah, that's uh, funny. I've, I'm going to mention the, the audio that I have right now, just uh, as a precursor to a possible future show that I uh, went up on uh, on that mountain and we were picking huckleberries and we decided it was Friday night. We decided to, um, well, we picked, we, we picked for a couple hours Friday night and, and it was such a long drive back to Lewis. And then we, we just, you know, let's, let's just sleep in the truck and we'll get up and we'll finish picking our berries and get out of here and get it done for the year. So that's what my wife and I did. We, but before we went to uh, sleep, I pulled out my audio recorder and I placed it on the, uh, the hood of my truck, and then we, my wife said, uh, you know, as soon as I was doing that, and she goes, did you hear that? And I, what, what do you got? And she goes, well, right back in there, and she's pointing behind us, and back, that's off back into the woods. She goes, I'm hearing monkey noises back in there, and I looked at her, and I go, yeah, she did. She goes, she has way better hearing than me. She goes, I'm hearing monkey noises back in there, and I looked at her, and I go, monkey noises, and she goes, yeah. I go, get in the truck, please. So she got into the truck, locked it down. We got our sleeping bags out. And I, at this point, I'm like, okay. So I take my, my uh, high-powered rifle, and I laid it in the, um, the dashboard in the front, right in the front dashboard. I climb in the back seat, and I pull out all my other guns, and I lay them out on the floorboards. And then we, lay, we roll over, and we go to sleep. Or, you know, I, I toss and turn, but you'll hear it on the audio. I was tossing and turning. So <clears throat> the next morning, we wake up. I go, I get out of the truck. I walk over, and I, oh, yeah, the audio. And I picked it up, and I uh, saw it. It ran for six hours. So I just threw it in my bag, and we went and we picked. So scroll forward to the week before the 2016 International Bigfoot Conference. I was going through my, my gear, and I 
found that audio recorder and I picked it up. I go, what the heck? I forgot, okay, yeah, there's something on here. So it ran for six hours, so I plugged it in and put the headphones on and sat down and listened to it. And what's on that six hours will totally blow your mind. It It is just amazing of what happened. Um, they were all around the truck. You could hear them walking, crunching all around. Um, there's one of them came up, and um, when you touch an audio, when it's recording, it makes that sound. Yeah. He, they did that several times. They they were bumping it with their finger um, and just freaking chirping like you wouldn't believe. I'll, I'm going to send that to you and let you listen to it. And we're, we should figure out a show with, with that audio. It's it's amazing, Ryan. I'll I'll just leave it at that, and then we'll... We'll take take it from there because that that is it, it's it's incredible. Uh, I'm looking forward to having you listen to that. Really, really, I am. Well, I'm looking forward to making it available for everybody to listen to. And this is something that you've been yes working on here yep. for a while now. I was trying to get some more audio of these guys, and I most of the places that I've done research on them across the country, I've rarely been in areas where they actually make any kind of vocals, so I haven't even bothered mm-hmm. to deal with it. And the one <clears throat> place that I was around where they were making noises and their vocals pretty regular was right next to their little deer hunting spot up there in Patty Canyon. Mm-hmm. And at the time yeah. I was up there, I didn't have any sound recording equipment. So I was like, well, this is all fun. I'll just kind of take notes on what they're up to here all the time. But, uh, you know, we do anything to record it sound-wise. And I wasn't really expecting that. And I was kind of surprised by pretty much three or four days a week, right before dark, they'd be in a position making their little wood knocks and their little fake animal noises, signaling each other that they were ready to start hunting. And, you know, it was just like clockwork. You didn't know exactly what well, way they were going to do it, but you sure knew what yep. time of day it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the audience can uh, listen to some of my audio that I have from that six hours on my Facebook page. It's on there. Um, it's called uh, Huckleberry One. It's I got about 23 minutes of it on on my page, and my page is public. You can go there and listen to it and See for yourself. There's it's just 23 minutes out of six hours, but it is a good 23 minutes. I'll have them send the file over, and we'll post it to Montana Bigfoot Project too. So you folks on Facebook, go check it out there. Yeah, I'll share it with you for sure. Yeah, it's good. You'll uh, you'll like it. It's just just a snippet of what was going on all night long. But man, it's 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 good. We'll you'll see yeah. you'll see it when I send. Yeah, it's cool. Well, we definitely could do a follow-up show about that. And then, of course, you and me are going to have to, uh, in a few months here, get over to the Skalka Hole again. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure out yeah. that plateau up above that big rock slide, which, by the way, I noticed that when I was on the ground. I was looking up there going, there's something up above that rock slide, and mm-hmm. we need to get up there. And you actually looked at it from the air and went, yeah, there's a plateau. Well, I'm not yeah. surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks big, too. It looks like it would be perfect because there's a giant meadow in the middle of it. What a great hunting ground for deer and elk. Yeah, definitely bring the plaster and casting material with you. Get some nice big, you know, two and a half foot long yeah. tracks probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're I'll looking nervously about going, set faster, set faster, set faster. It's getting closer to dark. <laughs> I know, it's not drying fast enough. Set faster, set faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's that's. Something else, man. That that'll be a blast this summer. We'll I'll definitely make my way over there, and we'll we'll go on an expedition. Even, you know, I'd love to do a nighttime in there. It's going to be scarier in hell, but I think we can do it. I can oh, pull it off. a great place to camp. We'll go camp right over by where the boulder stack is, so they can't find <clears> us. 
That's where he can't. <laughs> totally by accident. Didn't know the boulder sack was there until after we had camped there. Uh, wow. But, I'd yeah, love to see know, that. Yeah. Considering uh, how much attraction we we got the last time from being there one night, I would say that would probably be a good bet. If you want to go there, especially for two or three days, that would really be a good place to go to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, we'll call it the Blair Squatch Project. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the Mountain Giant Project. I've got, I've got, um, I got infrared cameras, man. I got a lot of good stuff I'll bring. Oh, yeah. I've got all the, be- I got all. You got oh, infrared yeah. cameras up, you're getting a good night's sleep because they're not going to show up. That's definitely a way to make them stay away. Oh, yeah. You can look back inside the woods and see them, though. <laughs> I don't want to do. I don't want to do that. No, well, it doesn't. Yeah, mine doesn't shoot out. Uh, it 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 just. Well, maybe it's. Yeah, it could be a. No, it's not a flare. It's an infrared. Yeah, it's an no, IR. It's, it's oh, light scope. That just actually intensifies the background light, and makes it look like day. Yeah, the ambient light. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of gear. I'll just I'll bring it over and show it to you, and we'll see what we want to use. Yeah, I got all kinds of audio. Yeah, there's there's no tip off from those things if there's anything going on because they just mm-hmm. they're gathering the ambient light and intensifying it. That's the way yeah. to go. We're trying to, to you know keep an eye on those guys. Mm-hmm. But then yep. again, you, you know it's uh, yeah it it helps when they glow and you can see the body heat too. That's so. yeah yeah. Well, Bear told he told me he said. Uh, yeah, when we got ourselves the infrared, that changed the game. He said it was a game changer. You could see them laying on the ground out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, because otherwise you couldn't make out, well, I think maybe there's something over there. And even with starlight, you're, they're still trying to hide because they don't know that we can't see in the dark, apparently. And they're still trying to yeah. hide, so they're doing the same daytime hiding techniques. And so you still can't see them. But if you've got infrared, it's like, oh, there's a glowing blob over there. What's that mm-hmm. kind of glowing blob on the ground? Yeah. It's yeah. moving. Yeah. Even if they see it, you know, they, and they stand up and run away, well, you still got it on film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right on, man. We're definitely going to have to have you back again, and I'm super looking forward to going, getting up there. You know, I'm going to be over in your neck of the woods for a little expedition to go look for uh, oh, yeah. signs of glag still being around here later on the summer. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that would be fun there. to have you come over. It'd be yeah, fun. We, come on over, we man. Need, we need you to get over here, too, and uh, let's go visit the Skulko and see if we can uh, go visit that mountain giant. Yeah, yeah my, my brother's got an RV, an RV, and he told me that I can use it anytime I want uh, when right. we're doing the squatching. And, oh, so we'll be living in comfort. You know, so we won't have to sleep on the ground. That would be uh, that'd be really a lot of fun, man. you got to come over here and just see this this place for for what it is. It's it's pretty cool. You, you'll like yeah, it. Really. There's, no, there's no hill climbing. It's all flat, level ground. Nice. Yeah, it's not like the Skulko where everything's vertical. What's <laughs> that level ground? Where's that? Oh, yeah, there's yeah. a really little cutout spot here. I could never understand why guys climb 5,000 feet to look for Bigfoot when they're right down there in the valleys, too. You know, that, yeah, that's... Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> squat squat well, smart, not hard. Don't work hard. Work, work, work smart. Yeah. Yes, squat smart, not hard. Yep. <laughs> that's a, that's the official smart guy words for this episode. And on that note, <laughs> being that we're going to have Richard back, and thanks for finally coming on the show, man. I'm gonna close it out. Hey, here. 
It's my pleasure, Duke. It's been wonderful talking to you, man. And I, I really missed our time together that we had a couple of years ago. And, and I'm going to do something about that this year. Yeah, we definitely need to be getting out there. And, you know, we should go up to the Yak for their, their uh, Sasquatch Fest day that they're having up there for their second annual, too. Uh, I put the, the notice up on that. And that's not wow. too far for either one of us to yeah. go up there and visit Grizz and have all three of us hang out. That <laughs> would be cool. The local Bigfoot spots are out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to have a guide. It's right good on, to have man. a guide. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for being on the show, Richard. We'll definitely be having you back again. And, and uh, thanks for listening and watching the show, folks. Really appreciate it. we got some changes coming to World Bigfoot Radio shortly, including a slight name change. And when that happens, you'll understand why, and you'll be going, oh, yeah, cool. But it's a big secret until then. So meanwhile, don't miss any future shows. Make sure to subscribe and like, and I appreciate it when you do. And always try and be kind to everybody else. Pay it forward when somebody helps you. Safety first, last, and always. And never, ever forget, God help you, whatever you do, do not hug the Wookiee. <laughs> Thank you, Duke. Good night. You're welcome, brother. All right, that's the end of the recording. So all we got to okay, do is man. Up now I hear my family. I hear my, I hear my family coming in. I can hear... Uh-huh. Uh, hear this water streaming up the stairs so i'm gonna to have to let you go great timing well i finally i got done with both shows today uh you got some days to to work on it but send me over all the picture files and stuff that you can and you bet start i will that one together and get her out here you bet you i'll get her all there and i'll i'll will i will send that audio file too i'm gonna right, figure a way of getting that to you yeah okay, the whole six hours I, I might even hours. send you the original yeah i might send you the original Okay. And I'll make a copy of it, and then I'll send you it to you. Got any like really riveting short excerpts that are like a minute or two long that you can send with? I can include that in the show. Okay. Okay. But uh, welcome to the World Bigfoot Radio family, man. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye. Right, we'll talk to you soon, bud. Bye, bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.